This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of series journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com, which uh, I've been promoting heavily. And in fact, we got these shiny new press passes. David, I got to uh, commend you on the on the beautiful design work and uh, the picture that uh, of me. Well, I was about to say. Blow me for that. I, it, it, I, was, it, I was about to say. I'm going to have. I to, thought it was bad when it broke the camera, but when it screws I'm gonna have up to the reach laminator, deep into the pockets here to pay for this, as this will allow me access to all sorts of closed door meetings without well, background checks here. Primarily in the, the uh, <laughs> bisexual bathroom. You know what? I the the Caitlyn Jenner bathroom. That's exactly where I want to be going. Um, in fact, actually, in fact, I'd appreciate it if you take your press pass off when you go to them. <laughs> Well, what if I'm doing a story? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we Caitlin, don't run those kind in of fact, stories. Caitlin was famous, uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlin Jenner, whatever, uh, recently went to Trump Tower and took selfies of uh, Shimself um, using the facilities there and bragging about it. So let's get out of this bathroom humor, bathroom conversation and talk about the self-immolation of the Republican Party, which could happen tonight uh, if Indiana goes the way of the Trump and I'm kind of excited if Trump does win, if he goes up to his victory speech and says, Hello, Indiana! Who's your daddy now? And the crowd would eat it up. They would clap. Bobby Knight's endorsed him. Lou Holt. He's got basically all of the top sports figures in Indiana, which to me uh, goes towards the prurient interest of the voters there. And uh, although the... Um, the vote in Indiana, I think, is a little bit more complicated than normal. I think you vote on actual delegates there, so um, I'll have to check into that. But I was perusing it briefly, and I think it's kind of – maybe that's Nebraska. One of them has a very confusing um, way to determine the vote. And it might have been Nebraska where you actually vote on individual delegates. And these are people that nobody would have ever heard of. So uh, a lot of people can't even name their state senator and state house rep. I've been at parties before, and I've asked people where they lived, if they knew who their state senator was, and they said, yes, I think it's Isaacson. And I said, no, Johnny Isaacson is your U.S. senator, one out of two of them. Who is your state senator? Then I could usually figure out who it was if they told me where they lived. But uh, I can imagine individual delegates who are basically just party activists uh, for the most part wouldn't have any kind of name ID with the general public, right? You can ask me who my uh, state senator is. Who's your state senator? Fran Millar. Excellent. But, I mean, you own a radio, a conservative radio show. So I would expect you to know, David. Do you know who your state house rep is? No. <laughs> See, we like to stump people here on Greg's List. I was thinking... The, the important question is, does he know who I am? Well, probably not. If you don't know, if you don't know who he is, then clearly you're not um, emailing him and, and and or her. I think it's probably a him. Where you're over in, uh, the, I, it's probably Tom Taylor. Maybe is he can to Tommy the Tom Taylor, or, or it could be Chuck Martin. I guess we'll have. I'd have to look and see. But I mean, you're certainly in the North Fulton, or it could be Jan Jones. So there's a bunch of people that uh, possibly could be yours, depending on where you live. I know you live right next to the Dunwoody Country Club, and. Uh, but Dunwoody, that is actually in Fulton County. A lot Sandy of people don't Springs. know that. It's Sandy Springs. So, yeah. But Fulton, Fulton County. County. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Same difference. We're splitting hairs here, right on county lines. Basically, it's where Woody Club Drive. It's a very uh, ritzy area. A lot of uh, well-to-do folks live in that area, so it is certainly Don't a popular that. area for political candidates to try to fight over. Um, tonight, though, if uh, Trump does win Indiana, Mr. Cruz has found his Waterloo. Uh, and David, you got to ask yourself, how did we get where we are right now, where, you know, the top two presidential candidates are a documented criminal and an undocumented Republican? Uh, so for me, it's pretty simple. Basically, the Democrat Party, they advocate for an ever-expanding, pervasive central government that, that provides womb-to-tomb coddling, and they claim that all they got to do is tax the wealthy, and that'll pay for all their big government whims, Right. And for Republicans, basically they pay lip service to this idea of limited government, but they expand government with their deeds, if not their words. The problem with Republicans is they just don't want to pay for all of the expanded government services, because this would require raising taxes on virtually everyone at our current pace. Uh, In my opinion, both parties have been economically dishonest with the American people, and that's probably why the two most dishonest candidates have risen to the top of their respective parties. And when I say dishonest, I think, well, you don't really need... Hillary Clinton's dishonesty needs no introduction. Uh, Donald Trump, if you just look at his words and deeds over the past decade or so, he's been back and forth, back and forth on a multitude of issues, and even during this campaign said, oh, I'm just doing a lot of this as an act right now to win the primary, and I'll switch over once I'm the uh, general election nominee. So he's basically admitted to being two-faced, and you know his his supporters have then he'll make a great largely politician. ignored that. Yeah, I mean he's said outlandish things like building a wall and have Mexico pay for it. I'm not opposed to building a wall. I just think that uh, we have to be honest with people and say yes, the American people will pay for it. The Democrats should actually love a wall. Think about it. They love their infrastructure projects. Think how many jobs created building a wall would do. It's a it's the biggest public works project since the Hoover Dam. So that's my take on on where we are now. We could very well see the uh, uh, the self immolation of the GOP tonight. I, I just looking at the numbers with that Trump has in almost every major group, the unfavorable ratings dictate it's going to be really tough for him to get two hundred seventy electoral votes. Now I could be wrong. You were talking about the. Uh, the silent majority and how many new voters he has brought out. And I thought that was an interesting point. Did you want to mention that a little bit more, like kind of what you're seeing on your perspective? Well, I, I just think that, uh, you know, we we were we came about in the uh, silent majority. And I think I think what you're seeing with Trump's very easy and, and not the same as what you're seeing or saw with Sanders. Uh, that was the young people wanting something for nothing and the young people saying, well, we need a change. We need to get rid of the old right. fossils, and yet he's the oldest fossil <laughs> going. But anyway, yeah. but my point being with the silent majority, I would say probably, I don't know, I'm pulling this out of the air, 70, 75, 80% of Trump's support is not for Trump. It's against just what you were saying, the, the dishonest, the, the dishonest yeah. politicians, the crap that they've told us that they haven't done, and everybody is sick and tired of the politicians, and I think there'll be people coming out of the woodwork that will be voting for Trump 
not for him as much as against everything else. The politicians, Washington, D.C., and, you know, if I've heard it once, I've heard it God knows how many times. Well, he's got to be better than what we've got. Yeah. He's got to be better than what we've had. That's not always true, and, though. <laughs> well, it's not always true, yeah. but, you know, I, I, I tell you, I, don't, I haven't voiced this to you in the five years, I don't think, but as anti-Obama as I was in 2007, 2008, I still had the smarts to say he could come into the position and be the greatest or one of the greatest presidents ever. Right. And he has done nothing but screw everybody, his own race, certainly the business people, the EPA. You know, he has turned out to be the The medical, worst. the doctors. I Everything. mean, you have a whole show based on the, um, uh, the draconian Obamacare. regulations of Obamacare. And we've seen how many... Uh, people have lost their health care insurance. How many people are paying inflated premiums? How many people are paying inflated deductibles? How many people have had their doctor ripped out of their network? How many people that are scared to start their own business now for fear of losing their uh, company sponsored? I mean, that and the Dodd-Frank law. I mean, a lot of times people complain about Congress moving at a glacial pace. But in his first two years, to get what he got passed with uh, basically the supermajority uh, with the Democrats, which again, a problem of the Republicans, um, to, to their failure to lead, allowed this uh, possibility to happen. And we're seeing huge uh, reverberations in the economy because of these bills. Um, you know, th- this is something else I want to address right quick. Uh, is the fact that we hear this saying, oh, my God, if Trump's elected, we're going to lose the Senate and yeah. and the, the House. Well, the fact of the matter is it's not Trump that's causing them to lose. It's the Republicans that have gone in, got in gotten elected. They're losing it for themselves. And I, I have no sympathy for them. They've it's, done nothing. It's their own feckless policies. And the yep. fact that they'll, again, they campaign on this limited government. We're going to cut government spending. And then it seems that when they get in, they just go crazy trying to pass social issue legislation that... The, the large majority of the country, especially those under 40, are really not that uh, – they're really not that into you. So, How we, many we, senators we and representatives ran last time saying that the first thing I'm going to do <laughs> is attack Obamacare? Oh, every single one of them. Uh, and I will say that Marco Rubio ending the uh, – the kind of the insurance company bailout part of it that was probably the most effective uh program that's that's going to help keep the uh the downward spiral of it moving unfortunately there during this uh i guess recalculation and and um the way we're going to you know look at the abacus and see things change with obamacare there's going to be a lot of pain in the industry uh, for medical professionals and for the general public who will have to deal with uh, you know this this web of confusion that it's caused. I talked about Dodd Frank last week at a panel I was on with uh, 
the uh, America's Future Foundation, and our guest last week, one of them, Nick Cooper, through a, an excellent event. I was honored to be part of a panel with uh, Charles C.W. Cook and uh, WSB's Monica Perez, and uh, it's amazing the ground that we covered uh, at this event, and we were able to, to articulate things uh, somewhat intellectually, right? Instead of just going up like uh, a Donald Trump speech and, you know, so speaking in banal language and not really giving specifics, we had a lot of specifics and a lot of ideas uh, of what we needed to change uh, from a conservative mindset. And I thought uh, we basically solved the world's problems in two hours. You can check out the video online. But uh, excited today to have Linda Umberger joining us. She's a longtime Republican activist. I've gotten to meet her during several campaigns. She's running for Republican National Committee woman to the RNC, uh, currently held by Linda Heron. And the uh, her male counterpart is Randy Evans, who is running for re-election as well. We'll try to get him on the show uh, eventually. But um, the RNC, you know, the for these... National Committee Man, National Committee Women, these, this basically the state's voice to the RNC. So it's an important job and it's, it maybe not the most glamorous job, so you really do need the, uh, the workhorse, not the show horse in there and looking forward to speaking with her. Also gonna have Brent, uh, Brennan Mansell, the newly elected chair of the Georgia College Republicans, calling in at 2.30 and uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit of time to talk about his favorite subject which is geopolitics. But we'll be talking about kind of his ideas, why he wanted to run for that, the challenges faced by the Republican Party uh, coming on at about 2.30. So we've got a lot to look forward to today. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. You can follow us on Facebook at americaswebradio.com. I'm also on Twitter at Greg's List Live. That's the at and then Greg's List Live. And we're going to go ahead and take our first break here. See you in a couple minutes with Linda Umberger on Greg's List. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Hey, and welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. Got a great uh, in studio guest right now joining us from a uh, busy day traveling around the state. I am sure Linda Umberger is here. Linda, welcome to Greg's List. How are you doing today? Great, and it's an honor to be here. This yep. is exciting. Yep. Thank you. Well, it, it is. I mean, we are. Uh, uh, certainly not lacking for competition, either at the presidential level or the state level. Uh, we've seen all sorts of uh, uh, candidates emerge this year in Georgia, and uh, you're, and that's for kind of statewide elections and federal Congress. I'm sure if you live in Congressional District 9 or uh, 11 right now, you are being inundated with all sorts of uh, information about various candidates. Some of the folks like me who are in the 4th District, uh, Hank Johnson is quiet with hard Republicans. Unfortunately, I don't get a whole lot of direct mail from Mr. Johnson. I have no Wonder idea why. why. No why. idea why that would be. But uh, So you're running for National Committee Woman. So uh, I, I've known you as a longtime Republican activist and very active in uh, uh, expanding our, our base with, uh, with, with the women's groups. Uh, but tell our listeners a little bit about you personally and why you think you're the best choice for National Committee Woman. Well, I actually grew up in Atlanta and then had the honor of moving up to a farm in the 9th District, so I am inundated with all that mail. Um, but just going through different opportunities in my life, starting with when I was in 8th grade in November of 1976 when Jimmy Carter was in that election Mm -hmm. and my dad woke me up late one night and said get dressed we're going down this is a historic moment for Georgians even though we did not vote for him um it's a big deal that a Georgian is the president Mm -hmm. so I went and standing in the crowd and listening to everyone as the night wore on it was clear to me Whatever these people are, I am not. And listening to his victory speech as well, it was all about the government doing things rather than us as individuals. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in a home where it was very much, you need to take responsibility for yourself. One of my dad's favorite sayings was, do not tell me um, about the storms. I want to know, did you get the ship docked? (laughs) Did the ship come in? So very much that personal responsibility. And carrying that through politically, working for McMattingly when I was young and then getting an internship in the Reagan White House just sort of carried over in that installation that individuals are much better at coming up with solutions for themselves rather than the government, which to me embodies the whole Republican Party, is that we can do it ourselves. Yeah. And I have four kids, and so going through life with them really tells you about how to reach an audience and you know my children will tell you the two things i want to know from them it's kind of a family joke have you brushed your teeth today and did you vote it and if you didn't (laughs) vote you're going to hear it from me um and i am fortunate in that the three that are of legal age voting are republicans and um one is a woman and i have two young men and it's interesting to hear my daughter's perspective we on this election cycle. We need to get that fourth cycle. one registered to vote. Even He's if only 16. That's fine that we, that we can get him registered. I know some Democrats. <laughs> well, anyway, no, Nathan's. And Nathan is a great <laughs> campaigner. Nathan went with me to North Carolina to knock on doors for Victory 2012. He's knocked on doors for various candidates around mm-hmm. Georgia, including several that are incumbents. And this is definitely the year of challenging incumbents, even on the Republican side. It's a fascinating Yeah, yeah thing. it really is at the state and the federal level. So uh, National Committee Woman, what are uh, – and I think that uh, we're starting to see a much bigger focus. If anything, the uh, 
the contest, the idea of a brokered convention or a contested convention has been a modern day civics lesson uh, for many people. We haven't really changed these uh, delegate rules for 40 years or so in Georgia, but people are now realizing that if somehow Donald Trump doesn't get to the magic 1237, that Ted Cruz has had a pretty uh, good ground game to put people in place that would vote for him for uh, the second and ensuing ballots afterwards, which this has caused a lot of anger and and yells of being disenfranchised by people that have maybe come out to vote for the first time because Donald Trump is viewed as an outsider. So what uh, do you think that's going to be a huge challenge for the RNC to kind of talk about going forward? Absolutely. And unity is the only ticket. And I think it goes back to what happened on September 11th in 2012, because that has been the argument I've watched my sons have with their sister, because we can say, oh, we have issues with Donald Trump or, oh, especially young women. Mm -hmm. I've many intelligent young women I've had the opportunity of getting to know who graduated from Georgia Tech are very hesitant. They call themselves Republicans, but they don't sort of feel the love and the connection yeah. with Cruz and or one, Trump. And one thing you've been uh, a really zealous and passionate person about is kind of expanding the Republican base with women, and I did want to uh, commend you for that. I know that project has been kind of put on hold for a little bit, but yes. it's, I still know it's a passion of yours, and I think that gives you some insight into how we can kind of patch up this 80% unfavorable rating that uh, the Republican frontrunner has right now with women, which is 53% of the voting block, I believe. And oh, yes. John, you can nod in, but okay, your campaign uh, guy and PR guy and uh, general great American John Simpson's here. He's and, fabulous. Uh, but I like him because he's a great data guy and he can nod or shake his head <laughs> at me. He gave me some good information on coroners last night, by the way. So, I but, love so it. anyways, I digress. Well, no, when we look at seriously what happened <clears throat> in Benghazi on September 12th, uh, September 11th, 2012. Mm-hmm. The lines are very clear. Our current administration abandoned our ambassador and our armed forces. I mean, they left them mm-hmm. high and dry. And I don't care about, I don't, I mean, to me, that's where you draw a real clear line in the sand because it sent a message to the world. It sent a message to our own. It sent a message to us as Americans that they don't care about us and we don't matter. And yet these are people who put their lives on the line. And that, to me, differentiates there is no Hillary, there is no Bernie, there is no continuation of the Obama administration. It is the Republican Party, and I think between Cruz and Trump, it is crystal clear that there is a definite defending of our people overseas and also that we will be the world leader. Um, It goes back to, I had the opportunity of working for Carly for America's PAC, Mm -hmm. and one of their strategies based on studies was the relational aspects of who you decide to vote for. And it is having conversations with people. I think at the end of the day, America overall, because we do seem to be so divided, is in great need of a conversation. As Ronald Reagan said, the greatest change happens around the dinner table. Well, we've all gotten so busy that we don't take time to all gather around the dinner table. And one of the reasons is because of the economic challenges. People are changing their profile pics at the dinner table. Yes, yes. And I know we struggle with that as a family. Everyone put your... (laughs) cell phones down, you know, somebody's got to do a Snapchat or something like that. But I do think it goes back to a very basic principle of friendship, conversation, and relationship, Mm -hmm. and literally breaking bread together. 
um, that that's the only way to affect change. Like the good old halcyon days where the families were actually a unit and ate together and, and were... Uh, it had at least that 30 minutes to an hour every day where they could catch up with each other and, and be concerned and ask, what's going on with you? What's What are your concerns? What are your fears? What What's a positive thing that happened to you? Yeah, and, and the problem is that economically speaking, it takes two parents to provide for a family, and the, you don't have the flexibility. I know I had the ultimate privilege of being able to homeschool my kids Uh and that was because of so they were with you all the time yes yes probably (laughs) they regret it but anyway no (laughs) we had lots of fun Mm -hmm. um but we had opportunities that other families don't have and i think that goes back to economics Uh and that's one of the reasons um you know, uh, I can pull out a positive with each candidate. A positive with Donald Trump is, hey, he's created jobs, and he has a track record of doing mm-hmm. that. Um, his daughter, Ivanka, is definitely I will say a his family, his, his children are, uh, are, are pretty good Americans. Uh, a couple of them are, I mean, basically they've been uh, attacked a little bit because they weren't registered to vote. And I'm thinking if that's the best they've got on I their was children, not their mom. Then, that would have uh, been the yeah. first thing. <laughs> so. so if you had been the fourth Mrs. Trump, yeah. I guess, right? Right. <laughs> Mrs. Trump, scary Mrs. thought. Mrs. Scary Trump thought. Burger, I guess that 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 kind of goes with it. I I know your husband's probably cringing right now, but uh, <laughs> that's funny. But and Ted Cruz has done yeah. a great job, and I think picking Carly mm-hmm. Fiorina as his running yeah. mate was fantastic. Yeah, I was about to say I'm here with kind of Team Carly here right now, the former yes. Team Carly. I, uh, me and Linda, as I told you last week, and me and you seem to be bad luck to uh, presidential candidates. <laughs> we were both uh, working on uh, Scott Walker's campaign. Campaign, and then uh, you went to uh, Carly's campaign, and then uh, Rubio's campaign, and then next thing I know, uh, I don't know who to. You, people told me that uh, I should uh, support Cruz or Trump to get one of them off. I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and put the Hillary sign up in my yard. I think that'll solve a lot of problems because if I am kryptonite to candidates, I'll take one for the team. I'm with you. I like that idea. I'm going to stick to that idea. I think that's how we do it. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, let's see. Um, I guess. Uh, we covered most of the uh, the things that I wanted to. Did you want to talk about anything specific? Uh, we got about uh, two and a half minutes left that you wanted to do specifically from Georgia as the uh, national committee woman. Lot there. I know several lot, things come to mind, but a lot of things. And I do. Linda Heron, Randy Evans, and John Pageant do a phenomenal job. Are all extremely well respected members of the uh-huh. RNC amongst their peers there, but. Why have we not had, oh, a convention? We happen to be the soul of the South. Atlanta is a convention hub. I would love to ensure that we have a presidential um, convention coming up here, as well as several board meetings. The RNC has board meetings four times a year. It would be, we've got tons of great cities, Columbus, Savannah, uh, Macon, St. Simons, Atlanta. all those places. Atlanta, Atlanta. yes. North Georgia, everywhere. <laughs> um, would be great to have mm-hmm. some board meetings, allow RNC members to become more familiar. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, our airport is simply the best. I've heard it's busy, and we also have PDK, the second busiest, so all of our corporate uh, Gordon Gecko types can fly in there yes. and avoid the, uh, the the turmoil and, and business down in uh, Hartsfield. So that is interesting. And what if, um, as Georgia becomes a more competitive national state, I think that'll give us certainly some leverage to say, hey, y'all, y'all are in Cleveland, for God's sake. <laughs> Let's come down to Atlanta, where at least we've got a little bit more of a home field advantage than Cleveland, Ohio. Well, and I think a lot of decisions were made. Ohio is a swing no, state. Of course. Let's, you know, yeah, yeah. do that. But also, 
you know, you've got the Rock and Roll Hall of Museum. That may pertain mm-hmm. to you and me and older folks. But going back they to... They need to have the hip-hop and the EDM thing to get our millennials out, right? Yes, and did you know, millennials are the largest voting block. So training that them the hell out of me. and working with them and really getting them on board and us... You know, so you need to have a re- you need to have a remix song and a Snapchat to reach that audience. Yes. But yes. All right. Well, we've got to wrap up here. I appreciate you coming in today. Hopefully, you'll hang out and get a little uh, picture so we can do some uh, some marketing for you. And oh, thank you. Um, I, as um, uh, as you know, the uh, convention's coming up August third or June third and June fourth in Augusta, Georgia. Yes. Um, I don't believe we're going to be playing any golf out there. I think we're going to be pretty much stuck the uh, the whole time. But Linda, I appreciate you coming in today, and uh, good luck with your race. I appreciate the uh, chance to interview today. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here, and everyone go to Linda2016.gop. Thanks for All having right. me. And we will see you in a couple of minutes back on Greg's List. Brendan Mansell scheduled to call in and uh, talk about the uh, the role that he's taken on with the Georgia College Republicans and and uh, some of his geopolitical uh, outlooks and opinions, which apparently is his favorite topic. And uh, I look forward to discussing that with him. See you in a couple of minutes on Greg's List. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's WebRadio.com. Great show today. Uh, Linda Umberger decided to stay on and listen in as we talk to Brennan Mansell, the newly elected chair of the Georgia College Republicans. Brennan, I uh, wanted to welcome you to the show. Thanks for calling in, and congratulations on the new role. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, Linda was asking uh, if she could hang out and stay. And I said, of course. So uh, if she uh, thinks of something to talk about, then I will let her chime in. But I did want to make sure we got to uh, cover some of the bases that me and you had kind of chatted offline about. And uh, I guess that's kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you uh, wanted to take on the uh, uh, responsibility that being the chair of the Georgia College Republicans entails. Absolutely. Well, my name is Brennan Mantle. I'm from Carrollton, Georgia, which is out in West Georgia. Alabama. A, basically, it's basically <laughs> East Alabama. Uh, I go to the University of Georgia. I'm a junior, about to be a senior, and I study political science and international affairs. Cool. Um, I, I really was interested in running for the College Republicans Chairmanship of Georgia, primarily because I feel like I have the leadership attributes that the organization needs for an election year. Um, I've led party organizations in election years before. And we needed someone with experience and some good, solid ideas of how to get millennials and uh, college students out and participating in the political process. And I sort of outlined those things throughout my campaign. Um, and obviously, it was fairly successful. I ended up winning the chairmanship about half a month ago. Yep. Well, I know you're going to do a great job. Um, you know, the Georgia actually has probably the largest college Republican uh contingency, I would say, probably in the country, uh, just because a lot of factors involved with that. Basically, mm-hmm. it's proximity to uh, Atlanta, it's proximity in the South, uh, the fact that they have such a really good poli- uh, international affairs and political science and journalism school, and mm-hmm. I admit that I am biased as a journalism grad in <laughs> class of 97 and a fairly frequent attendee of uh, of y'all's meetings, but uh, that really positions the, uh, the, the college Republicans in Georgia and general uh, in a very good uh, uh, way to, um, I guess, foment some national efforts when it comes to CRs, because in addition to UGA, a bunch of other campuses, which uh, I've had the privilege of being able to speak at about uh, free market and limited government issues around the state of Georgia, everybody seems to have bought in, and y'all really have a sophisticated uh, social media team and, and basically a sophisticated PR apparatus, in my opinion. I'd agree with you on all those statements. The University of Georgia is actually the largest college Republicans chapter in the nation. We have over 500 uh, uh, general body members. Uh, so we can we can claim that title, and we've won several awards on a national level with College Republican National Committee. Uh, Georgia, as a, as a state, is very well positioned for a variety of reasons. We're smack dab in the middle of the southeast, so we have a strong conservative base. However, that doesn't preclude us from competitive races in the Atlanta area, in Florida, South Carolina. And you see us getting really active and going to campaign trips to these competitive races so that Republicans can win and succeed. Yeah, well, and, and also one of the things that I always say at um, at CR and YR meetings is, you know, don't uh, let any of the old Republicans condescend you by always saying you're the future of the party. I, I always think that everybody should have a seat at the table because we learn so much from each other, and especially about the salient issues, as our previous guest uh, Linda mentioned, that millennials are the largest uh, potential voting bloc. A lot of them don't vote, and uh, I'm hoping the Bernie Sanders wing 
does mm-hmm. not vote uh, this year. But uh, it's certainly as they grow, as, as they get older, the the generation will probably be called something else at some point. But uh, they are going to be replacing the baby boomers as as voters, and it's important that we uh, understand the nuances of this generation. And just my experience at University of Georgia, there is a broad swath of opinions and 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 levels of conservatism just at uh, University of Georgia and some of these other college campuses. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the challenges of kind of target marketing everybody's uh, interests. Absolutely. I don't know if uh, you've read, but I'm sure you've heard of the book called The Selfie Vote by Kristen Anderson. I have not read it, but I will make sure I take a look at it. But I can tell by the title, it sounds like it's directed <laughs> for y'all's generation. It's, 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 a, it's basically a millennial's outlook on how our generation, young voters, can affect policy, but also, more importantly, how the Republican Party can reach out to these groups. So she has an interesting statistic. I recently started reading it. Um, an 18-year-old who votes for the very first time in 2016, if average life expectancy pans out, will vote through 2076. 2076, <laughs> which is a whole lot of presidential elections. That's 14 president. Election. That's 56 years, which divide by four. I know that math is hard for Democrats, but that's 14 <laughs> presidential elections. Uh, right. That's a lot. That's. I mean, that's. It's hard to fathom mm-hmm. that right now for me, anyway. Right, and we know that the uh, statistics have shown, or studies have shown, that the formative experiences um, that you have when you're 18 18 years old are three times more uh, effective on your character and your behavior as the same experiences that they happen to you at 40 years old. So if we want to start winning elections in 2076, 2056, what have you, we have to start focusing on 2016 and the immediate future because these 18-year-olds who come out of high school and go into college you get indoctrinated by uh, sort of liberal media on campuses. These have repercussions beyond just this one election cycle. We're really facing a generational issue here that if we choose to neglect uh, young voters, that they will in turn neglect the party for decades to come. Yeah. And you really, one of the, another one of the challenges that we have as sort of college Republicans is making sure that these changes take place not only in the proper manner on college campuses, like we're getting people engaged in um, different organizations that are favorable to right-wing causes, what have you, but also in the face of changing lifestyle. Millennials are much different than any other generation before. They're much more likely to delay in buying a house. I know that may affect you personally. Um, they're <laughs> Trying to much... stop that in its tracks. <laughs> <laughs> trying to. You're doing great work there. Um, they're much less likely to go to church um, as frequently mm-hmm. as older generations. They're much more likely to delay in getting married. And so all these different uh, types of categorizations that we associate uh, with the Republican base do not well align with millennials. So we have to find a new way to appeal uh, conservative values beyond Mm -hmm. saying uh, evangelical homeowners looking for the American dream. <laughs> well, you know, you were there uh, the last time I spoke, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a broad survey of the, the state of the, uh, the presidential race and, and some of the main uh, issues. And one of the things, I mean, clearly the gay marriage issue is uh, that probably needs to be put to bed for right now because or forever. I mean, it's the, the Supreme Court already decided on it. My... Uh, polling of anybody under the age of 40, it's probably 70 to 80 percent or higher uh, against it. With the UGA college Republicans, it was almost 100 percent that that no longer needed to be a uh, uh, a totem pole uh, issue for us. But what 
it, what made, did interest me was the exact opposite with pro-life as a still an important mm-hmm. platform. So I don't think we have to eschew all of the, the social issues that, that many people hold uh, sacred. I just think we need to pick the ones that are actually resonating the most. And right. I'd really like to hear your opinion on, on why pro-life, I guess, is different uh, or approached differently than maybe the gay marriage issue for millennials. Right. So uh, a large, largely the gay marriage issue, we form our opinions on it based off our interaction with people who could get gay married. Um, so you see in high schools a lot more commonly people who identify as homosexual or, um, quote, coming out of closet, unquote, and self-identifying in that regard. And because we see these gay and lesbian individuals, we are much more willing to say, that's my best friend or that's a good friend mm-hmm. of mine. Um, I want them to have the same sort of rights mm-hmm. that I'm guaranteed by the country. However, on the pro-life issue, everyone should be guaranteed the right to life, and we should be protecting innocent life in that regard. Um, I don't think that saying, because the Supreme Court has decided on it, that this issue is put to rest, because we're still fighting a court decision from 1973 in the pro-life movement, Roe v. Wade. Um, so a lot of... That's a fair of, point. Right. A lot of conservative-leaning uh, college students agree with the pro-life position because they believe in preserving the rights of everyone, and that sort of perception of preservation of rights extends also to gay marriage. So you're saying that the issues maybe aren't as different as they would appear on paper, that uh, basically mm-hmm. it's guaranteeing uh, rights. I I have, um, I have opined last week, um, and it was, it was received pretty well by a pretty big crowd of kind of conservatarians or republicans like I am, mm-hmm. that the pro-life movement just needed to have different messengers. Instead of a 75-year-old white man trying to preach to a young woman, if we had 25-year-old, uh, 25 to 35-year-old women that had actually experienced Experience something. Maybe they had an abortion, or maybe they had been compelled to look at an ultrasound by certain state laws, and that made them change their mind. I think those are far more effective messengers of that issue, for sure. Uh, is that something you would agree with? I would absolutely agree with that. And on sort of the conservatarian point, millennials are also a lot more, um, I don't know if libertarian is the right word, but they're, they're more focused on preserving their rights as individuals. So the individualism of millennials is what drives a lot of the policy preferences that they express, whether that's through their party affiliation, their vote, what have you. So um, on that issue, so that's, that's how you're able to tie in gay marriage and pro-life. Um, the CRNC and various other college Republican affiliates are doing a great job in uh, brokering partnerships with pro-life groups on campus, bringing them out, um, taking to places like Tate Plaza, which is one of the main student mm-hmm. uh area assembly areas on the university of georgia campus and showing that these are real issues that affect everyday college students and we're getting a lot better at doing that than we have been in the past yeah linda did you have anything because linda's been kind of uh working with some of the younger groups and i think you've expressed an interest in the challenge of you know how we message and get some of these millennial voters Oh, absolutely. And what I want to say to you is what do you need to be successful because you've got it together. You see the challenges and how can we help you achieve your end? Because if we do that, then we'll all be successful. So I don't know if it's through a Snapchat conversation, meeting for coffee, but I want to get together with you. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Um, There are a few different areas that we can engage young voters and start to bring them into the Republican camp for the foreseeable future. One is building conservative leadership in political offices, whether that's an elected office like a state house race, uh, a party office like a first vice chairmanship of your county party or what have you. 
by putting uh, younger individuals in these positions of political influence, you're showing in, uh, millennials that A, your voice does actually matter. It carries weight because you can hold these positions of power. But also B, it gives them an opportunity to develop their own leadership that if they seek higher office, whether that's um, a state senator or uh, the chairmanship of the county party, they can use that as a platform to grow. Um, that's one area, just focusing on more issues than just college campuses. Gotcha. Well, uh, Brendan, let's, uh, let's hold that thought. Let's go ahead and take our uh, 244 break here for a couple of minutes. And then, uh, yeah, I wanted you to finish up on that point and then uh, get to one of your favorite subjects, which is also one of mine. We'll talk a little geopolitics uh, with Brendan Mansell, the new chair of the Georgia College Republicans. See you on the other side of the break on Gregsos. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's AmericasWebRadio.com. Joining us uh, in studio, Linda Umberger, candidate for uh, National Committee Woman, and on the phone, probably in betwixt uh, finals at the great University of Georgia, one of the finest academic uh, institutions in all of the land, is the uh, Brendan Mansell, uh, who's been an officer with the UGA CRs for a long time and is the newly elected chair of the Georgia College Republicans. And we are, uh, I, I hope folks, 
are listening in today because I think y'all are getting some really good insight uh, from somebody that's been uh, a leader uh, in the college Republicans, and I think you were in the teen Republicans. Somebody that's clearly a lifelong Republican uh, and willing to take on a bigger role now, and that's Brennan, and I think his insight uh, towards this uh, millennial voting block is uh, is very important for people to uh, to not only listen to, but actually, um, you know, try to uh, structure as part of their political and to- uh, political talking points and also their societal talking points going forward. So, Brendan, finish up a little bit. I had to cut you off on the 244 break part, but uh, you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, some of the things that we could be doing to, uh, to help this battle. Right. Uh, so <clears throat> just a couple more things. Um, I mentioned building conservative leaders by putting uh, younger individuals in positions of influence. Another thing that you can really do to support and engage young voters is to help sponsor them for campaign trips, um, whether that's college Republican activities or paying for a hotel room for some individuals to go uh, knock doors in the state house race. By providing the resources that the college Republicans as individuals lack, which is, as all college students know, um, funding, you can help energize these voters and show that they can project influence from their position as a door knocker to win elections. Um, so fundraising is always something very important mm-hmm. for the college Republicans and something we always need help from very generous sponsors. Fundraising yeah. and, and, and giving them a seat at the table. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, while we were in our break, uh, Linda mentioned something to me. So I'm going to let her uh, finish with that. But uh, it was uh, <laughs> it literally it was like a mind reading session going on here. Well, and what would you think when you look at networking opportunities and giving an opportunity for us or the older group to hear from you all of having scholarship funds to where you could attend the RNC board meetings? There are four each year and um, participate as far as just observing and listening, but build up the network. It also gives you exposure to people who can help fund uh, these uh, campaign scholarships that you're talking about. Is that something that would be helpful, interesting, learning? Right. Those are those are absolutely the kind of opportunities that we're looking for. Um, sort of sponsorship, scholarship for college Republicans to go to these nationwide conferences and experience firsthand um, the actions of the Republican National Committee. And like you said, network with a potential pool of donors and political supporters. That's um, absolutely critical to getting millennials out there and engaged. So I really appreciate that idea. Well, and I just want to say, when I look at how much y'all do under, like, Will Kramer's leadership, he was constantly, in 2012, getting groups together to go knock on doors. I know that's continued um, even without his being chair, but y'all are phenomenal. And I know, looking at South Carolina, I could never have done anything without my college interns. And y'all really are the structure and the momentum that gets things going. Thank you so much, Linda. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that uh, more and more people are realizing that uh, this voting block is an emerging uh, political force. And, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of times people say, well, the college Republicans are great volunteers. They're great door knockers. I actually look for uh, anybody that's over the age of 18. I just call them Republicans. I don't like to necessarily categorize them as young or old. Um, unfortunately, if you've ever been to a state convention in the Republican Party in Georgia, you realize that we are a very, very old crowd um, and it's a little depressing which um, I, I think we absolutely have to uh, inject uh, a, a huge youth movement in our veins and I guess Brendan what I wanted to ask you is why we saw uh, such a 180 
uh, in the past uh, couple of election cycles where Ron Paul energized the collegiate crowd. And four years later, they seem to um, coalesce around Bernie Sanders, who offers a completely different, disjointed message. Mm -hmm. How 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 do we reconcile that? Right. Um, The Ron Paul, Rand Paul conservatarian movement, and I would say even to some degree the Bernie Sanders movement among young people, um, goes really back to... uh, Millennials being rational actors and individualists. So you see a lot of support for Ron Paul because um, for his movement, his revolution, um, since they both support revolution, he really wanted to provide more of economic power and agency back into the hands of individuals. So government keeping out of their, their hands, his hands out of your, your, uh, your paychecks and mm-hmm. reducing the amount of government influence in your life, that's very clearly something that millennials can support. And that's why you saw, I would say probably... Um, the lion's share of his base being um, millennials. On the flip side, you see a lot of support for Bernie Sanders because um, young people are interested in uh, helping themselves. So they know that <laughs> Bernie Sanders is promising to eliminate student debt. He's promising to change and uh, make a revolution for the economic system that could provide them more jobs um, and provide boons in different areas of the spending without promising how he'll do it and outlining it. So I think uh, they, they both appeal to the, the future, the economic futures of young people mm-hmm. in different, vastly different ways from yeah. a political well, one, one, perspective. One, I would say, is, is is a compelling reason to join, and that would be the Ron or the Rand Paul faction. The the free stuff, though, that i got to say, that scares the hell out of me. Scares me, too. And uh, <laughs> I think um, that comes down to short, my, short-sightedness. So a lot of individuals see, they, they go to their bank accounts and they see how much they owe in student loans, and mm-hmm. they're willing to put anyone in office who can um, help mitigate the right. sort of um, anchor that's going to bring down on them early in their careers. Yeah, well, I mean, shouldn't we also look at, okay, look, you're 18 years old. You are making your own personal decisions. Perhaps majoring in ancient Sumerian poetry isn't going to <laughs> land you the job. I mean, that's why I give so much credit to my folks that go to the Georgia Techs and the UGAs and the Georgia States and Kennesaws and and, and the great uh, body of public education schools that we have here. Because if you do go to one of those schools, you're going to get a good education. If you study and you get a 4.0, that's why I this, this, this kid that uh, left for California that was a five-star recruit that I wasted way too much time on reading a speculation. <laughs> Demetrius Robertson goes out to Cal for mm-hmm. the civil engineering degree. I'm like, come on, guy. If you go to UGA and graduate with honors, you're going to have just as good of an education as Cal Berkeley. Now, uh, my liberal friends may argue with me that point, but I, I think that you can get a fine education uh, going to a, a, a public school. So I, I think a little of this college debt, they, the college students shouldn't completely just literally try to pass the buck on to other people. They need to realize that their decisions uh, do have consequences. And I'm not trying to be a get-off-my-lawn, you know, grumpy old man. I just think that we need to look at should we be funding student loans for majors that really are not employable going forward? Absolutely. Well, I think Georgia's a special case because um, this problem is not as bad for Georgia students because we have the Hope Scholarship okay. that pays for public tuition. Right. Um, that's why Georgia, I would say, has much less of a Bernie Sanders base than in other states like New York <laughs> or California. Right. Um, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well in um, funding our schools. That said, on the flip side, why is the state government paying for my 13th century medieval literature degree when there's no real job prospects on that? 
Um, and you see that bearing down and burdening our uh, Hope Scholarship and reducing the amount that it can pay to people. So this is a real political issue for sort of my generation to address yeah. in the future as they seek political office or yeah, they seek well, party office. I think it's a supply and demand thing. Like uh, if you're looking at having limited resources, which which everybody except for the federal government has limited resources, we need mm-hmm. to prioritize what majors should get this full tuition uh, reimbursement and maybe what would only get a 60%. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that people that are majoring in poetry shouldn't get their educations funded. I'm just saying that let's look at engineering and computer science mm-hmm. and uh, some of these other majors, uh, even investment banking, stuff like finance. I mean, I think a lot of millennials need to really understand finances and not just on a right. home economics basis. But I think that we need to look at what majors are important for this modern economy, this service-oriented economy that we're in now. We don't. The United States is not going to go back to manufacture soccer balls. We're going to let the Vietnamese and the Chinese and some of these emerging economies do that. We need to prepare the students for the modern world, and that may be modern, like high tech manufacturing, like solar panels and some of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, alternative energy programs. But I think that that is probably the best path forward is to actually underwrite what we are funding in, on a student loan uh, basis. Right. Well, the way the Hope Scholarship is structured, um, you instead of adjusting payment levels, it adjusts GPA levels for eligibility for the Hope Scholarship. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to a, like a technical school, I think under Governor Deal's administration, you have to get a 2.0 for to get it fully funded by mm-hmm. the state or something like that. Um, and meanwhile, if you go to the University of Georgia and you major, major in I don't know, literature, you have to maintain a 3.3 or what have you. Gotcha. So that's one yeah, way they're I mean, all, we're already addressing yeah. other, our future economic needs with Hope Scholarship. Gotcha. Well, I mean, and then that's more of a, okay, are you actually going to school and learning? <laughs> and then we're going to reward you. I don't think that that actually is the the, the end uh, solution to actually uh, fund and encourage majors that are actually going to uh, be the important ones going forward. But I appreciate uh, your point on that. It does say, look, hey, when you get here, you can't just screw around and get the free stuff the whole time. Brendan Mansell, thank you so much. We didn't even get into the geopolitics as much as I wanted. We'll have to save that for another time. Good luck with final. And uh, I will, I'm sure I will see you up in Athens uh, very soon, planning to be up there for May 13th for the uh, big graduation parties. And uh, look forward to seeing Linda uh, in Augusta in the uh, beginning of June and probably before that. Uh, I like to go to Republican Party events, too. Thank you all for listening in today. As always, you can follow the podcast tonight. Uh, replay at 6 p.m. Podcast will be up later. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg's List Live. See you next week on Greg's List. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.